Amen. Well, take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 19 this morning. Matthew chapter 19, if you have a copy of God's Word, or uh, you pull it up on your phone, or whatever device you might have, open up to Matthew 19, and uh, we're going to be continuing this series we've been doing through uh, our statement of faith, and uh, what that is, is it's a summarized list of what we believe, and it's important that we think about that from the standpoint that there's a lot of different people who believe different things in a lot of different places. And so the goal of this is to unite us together, not under our statement of faith, but rather under God's word. Okay? And the root of that is where the statement of faith comes from, is it's a summary of as we read God's word, as we open it together, as we understand what God has communicated already, that's where we summarize and determine this is what, where we stand based on where God has said we should stand, okay? And it's really important that you understand that because I don't want us to think about going through the statement of faith as if it's something extra in addition to the Bible, okay? Because as a church body, this is what we stand on. We stand on the, the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, the foundation of what He has already communicated, Okay? And everything that we do should flow out of our understanding of what he has already done and already said. Amen? Okay. And today specifically, so get to Matthew 19. We'll go, we're going to go there in a minute. And as I was preparing for uh, this week, I came across this story. And I thought it was really pertinent to our discussion. And uh, on, on Sunday, March 6th, 1881, a ship was wrecked off of the north coast of Scotland, and fishermen on shore made several attempts to get a line on board, but the wind was too strong. They succeeded at last, however, by using an empty barrel. There were 11 men on board, but only four or five were able to do anything, the remainder being helpless from the cold. As soon as the apparatus was in working order for the traveling cage, which was to be drawn along the rope, one young sailor was put into it, and a few minutes found him on shore in the hands of kind friends. This first man was scarcely saved when through the tide and the wind the ship was swung around among the rocks and the traveling apparatus became entangled across her bow and was rendered unmanageable. Then a man descended from the vessel and tried to save himself by coming along the rope hand over hand. But alas, such an attempt was useless. The waves were beating over him like falling houses and the poor fellow had gone but a little distance from the ship when the heavy seas swept over him and in a few seconds he dropped into the surging waves. What fate now awaited the rest of the crew. Now in hearing a story like this, we can almost picture being in that kind of situation, right? We could picture being someone standing on the shore 
and imagining the stress and the tension of that very situation as they sought to save these individuals who were stuck on the boat out in the sea. We can picture the fate of the men on board as they sat there, possibly trembling, thoughts going through their minds of, what if this is it? One wave and this boat could sink. And we could even put ourselves in the situation of visualizing and seeing this man in the distance climb over the edge of the boat and grab that rope with his own hands and scream and yelling, no, no, don't do it, turn back, it's not safe, it won't work. Because from our perspective, there was no hope of this man saving himself. Now, today specifically, we're going to look at a story in Matthew 19. And the specific story is an interaction that Jesus had with a man who asked him a simple question. And as we look at this, I think you'll be surprised primarily by the response of Jesus as it goes contrary to maybe what we often might think So Matthew 19 together, and I'm going to start and read verse 16. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, from the very beginning, from the very get-go, I like this guy. I mean, seriously, he comes to Jesus and this guy's interested in things of eternal nature. There are so many questions that he could have asked Jesus in that moment. And many of us, I'm sure, as we think about it, we could say, yeah, I've got some questions that I'd like to ask Jesus. But here he is, he gets the opportunity face to face with Jesus and he asks this question. What must I do? What good deed must I do? To have eternal life. This guy, hey, from what we know about him so far, maybe not too bad. And some of you are reading this and you're, you're clinging to the edge of your seat. And you're like, oh man, Jesus has a gospel opportunity. Jesus himself is presented with a chance to share the gospel with this man. Who has no idea. He's asking the question. Well, what does Jesus say? Look at verse 17. And he said to him, why, this is Jesus talking, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep, what does that say? The commandments. Everyone say the commandments. What? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. He had a chance. Has Has he really blown it? I mean, seriously, this guy opened the door for him. Jesus didn't ask any questions. And I want you to consider, too, Jesus at this point had been going from place to place. And everywhere he went, there seemed to be a crowd that just followed. They just flocked behind him. And so he walked. His disciples were with him and people followed. And they often, it wasn't just them. It wasn't just the people following 
themselves. They were often bringing with them those who were sick, those who were injured, because they had heard or maybe even seen with their own eyes Jesus' miraculous works that had taken place. And in fact, it's right before this account that we see in verse 13 that children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. So it wasn't that Jesus had a baby dedication here. Rather, the people, simply from their understanding or knowledge of who Jesus was, were were bringing their children and their, their friends and their family to him. And so it's... In verse 15, it says, and he laid his hands on them. This is after the disciples got a little defensive and rebuked the people. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And it's as he's going away, at least from our understanding of what scripture says. And in fact, in Mark 10, it says, as they were preparing to leave, a man approached him and asked him this question. And so you can imagine, there's the crowd of people, the, the disciples are going, oh, we finally got d- done with the kids. And now we're going to move on. All right, come on, Je- come on, Jesus. We're going to move on. And this guy, out of all the people, somehow this guy gets the question in, and the question that's recorded in Scripture. And he asks him, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response is, you must keep the commandments. Now, what does that do for our understanding of the gospel? Everyone say good news. Okay, that's what gospel means. The word gospel means good news. What's this going to look like? I mean, in all reality, many of us, if given the opportunity, if someone approached us and asked us that very question, we would respond very differently. I, I highly doubt we would look at someone who came to us and said, what is the way to eternal life? And we would say, oh, you must follow the commandments. But could it be that Jesus understands something below the surface that we just don't see yet? Could it be that there's more to the picture that we just have yet to grasp? Let's look at verse 18. And he, being the man, said to him, which ones? Asking which one, which of the commandments? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Now, I I can't help but smile when I get to this part of uh, this encounter with Jesus, because I'm picturing this man standing before Christ, and as Jesus starts listing off these commands... His chest gets a little puffier. And he's, he's feeling pretty good about himself. Oh, yeah, check. Oh, yeah, I've done that. Oh, I'm good on that one too. Oh, man, I'm doing pretty good. And in fact, the law, what we know is the law, would have been very familiar to the people at this time. The law being that which was given to the people in Exodus. Right when they left Egypt and God established these regulations and these rules to say this is how you are going to become righteous. And so he gave them ten specific commandments and he gave them specifically to Moses and Moses presented them before the people. And that was what became known as the law. Now, as time went on, we see these other individuals developed and they're called Pharisees. Everyone say Pharisees. And these guys... 
were law followers. Okay? So much so that they made rules that you had to do in order to follow the rules, in order to follow the rules, okay? And in fact, as it came to be, we, we often look at the Pharisees and go, man, what were these guys' problem? And Jesus spoke out against these guys, and yet, you know what's interesting? As we look at those Pharisees, we would be shocked if we did a study and looked at them at how similar they would be to us, okay? Because we like rules. Now, the interesting, this, this will be the real test. How many of you would say you like rules? See? There's hardly anyone that raised their hands. But the reality is, you like the rule that when you work a 40-hour week, you get a paycheck. Anyone opposed to that? And we like the rules in our house structure when it comes to our children. And we like the rules in the house structure when it comes to how we go about our week or our schedule or our routine. There's, there's aspects of that where we thrive when we know what needs done. We can do it and we can check the box. And so people often flock to that because it's measurable. Now Jesus brings up six of these ten commands and this guy is standing there and each one that's listed, check, check, check. And it gets done and he says, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And it's actually at this point, and the reason I laugh at this is, I'm just going to reference this, but the same account is given in Mark chapter 10. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 20, he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And verse 21 is one of my favorite verses in this. It says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And then responded. And I can't help but, honestly, I can't help but read that passage of Scripture without picturing Jesus with kind of a southern drawl. And this guy standing there going, I've already got this all figured out. Jesus, I'm, I'm good. What else? What you got? What more do you have for me here? And he just looks at him. He goes, bless your heart. <laughs> and have you ever encountered that with a child maybe? And they're so small, but they think they're huge. And so they just, they'll say anything. Or they'll come up to you with this statement that in their mind is, man, I'm, I'm big stuff. I've got this figured out. And as a parent, you can't help but just look and smile and laugh a little. And you kind of go, oh, honey, you, you just don't know. <laughs> and it reminded me of the story of uh, this little boy who came to his mom. And he said, mom, mom, I'm so excited. I, I measured myself and I realized I'm six feet tall. And the mom's not even six feet tall, okay? Mom's not even six feet tall. And so she's, she's going, well, all right, explain to me. How did you come to this conclusion? And he said, well, I took my shoe and I measured myself one at a time. And I'm six feet tall. And she said, well, well honey, your, your shoe is not a foot long. And he looks at her real confused. He goes, well, it fit on my foot. All right, just another example of an instance where... Man, he's, he's, he's saying here, I've, I've done all of this. What do I still lack? What good deed must I do? 
How's Jesus going to respond to this? Look at verse 21. Matthew 19. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, if you, uh, if you mark in your Bible, put a box or underline that word perfect, that's really important. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Wait, what just happened here? I mean... Jesus had this amazing opportunity, didn't he? What? This, this guy's response to Jesus, he goes, oh, Jesus, that's too much. He, he leaves sorrowful. He doesn't leave rejoicing in this. He doesn't leave rejoicing that he is just face-to-face coming to contact with Jesus himself. He goes away sorrowful because the one thing Jesus said here, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. What is this about? See, the reality is, when we come to a passage like this, we often are perplexed and kind of question, well, what's, what is he trying to communicate here? And... And really, there's a couple options when we come to interpret that. We can interpret it that Jesus is saying that in order to get to heaven, you must sell everything you have, all that you own, all of this. And yet, that can't be fully accurate because there were many people who were recorded throughout Scripture that were wealthy individuals and yet were powerful weapons in the kingdom of God, were powerful tools of God to expand and grow. So we know that's not the case. But Jesus goes on here and now turns his attention to his disciples. And I'm going to come back to answer this question in a minute. But in verse 23, it says, And Jesus said to his disciples, those who were following him, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then? Can be saved. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Who then can be saved? I find that's a question that, in reading some of these stories, is often asked. And for his disciples who'd been with him now, understand that throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus is predicting what's going to happen. He's telling them verbally what's going to happen, and yet they still don't seem to get it. I often feel very encouraged when I look at the character of the disciples because I go, I am in good company. We hear these things over and over and over and over again, and we still need reminded. And the disciples, they're perplexed at this because Jesus has just made this declaration that it's with great difficulty that the rich person is going to get into the kingdom of God. And they're going, whoa, what? And some of you might go, well, why are they so astonished by that? Well, for the same reason many people today would be astonished by that in the sense that oftentimes people correlate material blessing with God's blessing. And so to the disciples, they're going, well, wait a minute, aren't the rich people like God's most favored? 
If it's hard for them to get, then who can be saved? Who, in all reality, who, who is worthy? Who, who can be saved in the midst of this? This is the same reason that Jesus, when talking about the Pharisees, specifically told the people that if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. That was actually not a knock on the Pharisees because the people would have known that the Pharisees were like the rule followers, okay? And Jesus is going, if you're, if you're going to do your way to heaven, then you've got to be more righteous than even the most righteous people you know. And in the same way, he says to this man, if you would be perfect, everyone say perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor. Who then can be saved? Now, if we think about that in relation to the story we started out with, that's probably a question that was being asked of those men on the boat in 1881. Or the, even the people on shore. Who, who then can be saved? But a few moments after this man had been overtaken by the waves, the bow of the ship lifted again over the rocks, and soon the apparatus was disentangled and again workable. And all of the others were safely brought to shore. When the captain was asked about the lost man, he said, We tried to persuade him not to attempt such a useless task, as it would be impossible for him to reach the shore in that way. But he would not listen to us. A fine fellow he was, added the captain, the best man in the crew. But he was lost because he tried to save himself in his own way. Yes, all the rest were saved, but by other hands than their own. Human powers are wholly inadequate for salvation. To rely upon them is to invite and ensure spiritual disaster. Now, I'm going to sidebar for a minute. We're going to look at some other passages of Scripture. And then we're going to come back and conclude in an understanding of what just happened in Matthew 19. The first passage I want to take us to, and I'm going to put them all up here so you can follow along with me. The first one I'm going to take us to is in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 being specifically a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a place called Ephesus. And he says this specifically. Why don't we read this all together since it's up here, right? He says this specifically. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen for that passage of Scripture. But what is it saying? For you have been saved by grace through faith. And look at this. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. In other words, not a result of works so that like the rich man in front of Jesus, we can't stand there and go, I'm doing good. I've got this figured out. Rather, it's by the grace of God. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus 
Now, the second passage I want to take us to is in Romans 5. And we've referenced Romans 5 quite a bit through this series. And this is specifically verses 6 through 11. And so let's read this one together. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Go ahead to the next one. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, the emphasis of this passage, the beginning portion of this, is that it's not while you were good enough that Jesus came to die. It's while you were still in your sin. It's while we are still falling, while we're still messing up, that Jesus said, I'm going to come. God said, I'm going to send my son to die specifically for them. Not for those who've got it figured out. Not for those who've checked all the boxes. For those who are at their lowest point. For those who recognize, I'm a sinful person. I mess up a lot. God sent His Son. Not something we did. Everything that God did. Now the last passage I'm going to take you to is John chapter 3. Now, we do a disservice. I'm going to be honest with you. We do a disservice to ourselves by only referencing one verse of this section of Scripture. Because there's so much more here. So we're going to read 16 all the way through 18. And I would challenge you, Memorize the whole of that. Don't just memorize John 3.16. It's a great verse, okay? But don't just memorize John 3.16. Carry it into 18. And you'll understand why here in a second. So let's all read together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Powerful scriptures. There's life in Jesus. There's not life in my ability to have it all figured out. Praise God for that. Amen? Because we don't have it all figured out. None of us do. And if you carry a posture like you do, stop. Okay? Every single one of us has pain and burdens and suffering, whether it be in our past or our present. And that's what should steer us in a way that we go, my goodness, there's nothing that I have done, nothing that I could do to earn what God in Christ has already done for me. Now, here's the interesting thing, church. 
Every one of those scriptures we just read is completely void of any power if we allow something else to be our Savior. Every one of those is void of any power if we let something else be our Savior. Now the reality is We often allow other things to be our Savior, don't we? Now, I'm going to put this up here. This is our statement of faith. This is what we believe about this. And what this is focused towards. We believe that Jesus Christ is our representative and substitute. Shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. Now, based on that, what's going on in Matthew 19 here? Where Jesus seems to say, you need to do this. Well, one, this man came to Jesus and the question he asked was, Jesus, what good deed must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And so, in a lot of ways, Jesus follows right along with this man's course of thought. But why is it that he brought up this about this man's wealth? Isn't it interesting that we did not know this man had great possessions until he left? The conversation's over. For all we know, the disciples didn't even know that until after he left. We don't know that for certain. But Jesus knew this about this man when he stepped up. And so the reality is the reason Jesus brings this out is that this man's wealth was the thing that most threatened his ability to follow fully after Jesus. And it shows by his response to Jesus. If he'd been fully committed in saying, I really prioritize most how to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then as soon as Jesus said that, he would have run home, grabbed his stuff and said, absolutely, here we go. I'm all in. But instead, he goes away sorrowful. Why? Well, something else had a hold on his attention. It's the same reason Jesus signifies it. It's only with great difficulty that the rich person will enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not because the opportunity and the way of salvation is different for that person. It's because the temptation to put your faith in something of this world is so much greater. When you go to the poorest of poor and you say, we serve a God who wants to give life and life eternal incomparably to what is available here on earth. They've got nothing to lose if they've already lost everything. For the rich person, well, wait, what are you saying? I'm saying that nothing that you earn here of monetary worth will go with you into eternity. And yet how easy is it, especially for us in the United States of America... We are not a poor country. And yet I fear that this very statement applies to us. 
that it is only with great difficulty that a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who then can be saved? And there's a promise here. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And God made that possible. Jesus knew that was going to be possible through his death. Jesus in John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, in relation to this, here is your application question. Who or what? Is your Savior. Who or what do you fix your eyes on? What is it that stands most in the way of you committing fully to follow after Jesus? For some of us, it's our jobs. There's security there, there's affirmation there, there's money there. For some of us, it's people, whether it be a friend or a family member, our kids. Some of us, it's our wealth. Maybe money is a crutch. And man, as long as you've got that security, God, I don't have anything I need. Church, this becomes one of the most pivotal questions for us to ask. And if we really believe, if we really believe that Jesus is the only way, then by default the question that we ask should be, have I entrusted my life to Christ? Do I believe that He is the only way? Do I really believe that nothing that I earn of monetary worth here will go with me into eternity? Now again, I preface this and say, this does not mean that God's view of Christianity is that everyone's supposed to be poor. As I said, God has used so many people throughout Scripture, no matter what their social economic class is. That doesn't matter in God's eyes. What matters is, what's the condition of your heart? What's the condition of your entire being? Are your eyes fixed here or are they fixed on Christ? Now the reality is, as we think about that, many of you have good reason to put your faith in something here. Some of you have been hurt. Whether it be by people or loss. And so you go, man, I found something that is solid and I am holding on to that with everything I have. Some of you have lived in extreme poverty and maybe you've come out of that. And so, man, money is something that has a grip. And some of you have just experienced so much suffering and hardship and difficulty that you start to even question, is God real? And yet understand that Jesus himself came to give life and life abundantly. But that life, eternal life, and that's an important thing. 
Christ came to give eternal life. And oftentimes we mistake that for thinking that somehow, some way, I'm going to get to experience the fullness of what eternity is going to be like here. And that's just not the case. Because as long as we're here, man, we're going to mess up. As long as we're here, we're still going to have wickedness and evil and pain and hurt. But when we can look with confidence to eternity and say, my faith is rooted in one who cannot be moved, then all of that other stuff seems to fade. So church, at the foundation of everything that we believe, we've worked up to this, we believe God exists and He is full and sovereign and holy and just and righteous. And we recognize our own sin and fallenness, our own humanity. And we recognize even last week talking about the person of Jesus, His sinlessness, His humility, His willingness to sacrifice Himself for you and I. But today... Today is where decisions have to be made. It's where we have to ask and answer that question, what or who is my Savior? And if something were to happen to that, where would I be? My longing, my desire, church, is for you to have a security that's rooted in Christ that can't be taken away, that can't be removed, that can't be tainted, that can't be broken. And I'm convinced when we do that, that's where a Philippians 4 kind of peace that surpasses understanding comes into our lives. Because we know that when I'm rooted in Jesus, nothing else can move me. I'm secure. I'm safe. What or who is your Savior? I want you to stand with me and the worship team is going to come up. And as they do, I want you to think about this question. As a final illustration, and to think about this, how many of you could identify where this is from? Okay. You can get over 87,000 combinations of drinks at Starbucks. Got lots of choices. There's only one way to eternity. Do you know the way? Father, as we consider this and we wrestle with this, I pray that you would challenge us with this reality. Lord, maybe we're here today and there's people here who just don't know where they stand. And Lord, I'm so, I'm so thankful that they would be here. And there's others of us, Lord, who think about this and we go, man, I have... Put something else in the place that only you hold. That only you should hold. So Father, as we 
reflect upon this. I pray that doesn't stop today, that we would ask questions and challenge ourselves with this. Lord, may we not be like this rich man who came and asked the question and upon receiving an answer to his question, he left sorrowful because he just didn't understand. He just didn't grasp the, the depth and the brevity of that. Lord, may we be humble. May we approach you with a desire to know who you are and to follow faithfully after you, Lord, that you would be glorified, not just on Sunday, God, but every day as the church, we, the church, leave this building and enter the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we sing this last song, if you're here today and you just are going, at whatever phase you are, you just need prayer. Whether that be, I have something in my life that I have put in the place of Christ, or maybe you have never made a decision to follow after Jesus at all. Whatever that may be, I'm going to be sitting, I'm going to be right up here in this front row, and if that's you, I want to encourage you to come. And... Maybe if you came with someone, alright, because I know there's several of you here who came with family or came with friends that I've met, and you have questions about that, grab that person by the shoulder, put your arm around them, and just, and just say, hey, I, I just need you to pray over me, okay? And let's, let's do that as we close with this song together.